surprised by God. We've probably all had the experience of being the stranger, the new kid at school, the first time at a new church, moving to a new neighborhood or city, starting a new job. We know what that feels like. A little bit exciting, a little bit of anxiety and self-consciousness. And we know how good it makes us feel when someone takes that extra step to welcome us, to show us around, fill us in on what's new and strange and different to us. It's comforting to me to read in Deuteronomy today that God loves the strangers. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Our God is not partial and takes no bribe. All will be treated equally in the sight of God. Our God who executes justice for the orphaned and the widows and loves the strangers. And we are directed to love the stranger as well, to treat others as we would want to be treated ourselves. Our guest speaker today is Sandy Garrison and John Sanchez from the Court Appointed Special Advocates Program. And in a minute, I'll call them up to tell us more about their program. Their program serves some of the most vulnerable people in our community, children in foster care. But I want to speak a little bit about the gospel reading today. Today's gospel reading is one of the last times that Jesus speaks with his disciples before his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. His followers have been with him by now for about three years. So they've heard his stories, heard the parables, witnessed the miracles, been the recipients of the word from the word himself. He was leaving the temple after teaching there and is asked by his disciples privately, tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he answered them, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Picture in your mind the Son of Man in all his glory accompanied by all those angels sitting on that throne. And then what? This King this Messiah, this Son of God, gets down out of that throne, goes to the gathered people, all the nations, 
which by the way means all, including Gentiles, has a loving shepherd and separates the flock. He couldn't do this from the throne. He had to get down with those smelly sheep and goats to separate them. Sheep and goats were separated each night and put in different pens because each species has its own needs at night. This imagery of a shepherd sorting out his flocks for the night invokes imagery of Jesus as our good shepherd. Remember, his sheep know his voice and they follow him. He cares for them, keeping them safe from harm and fed and watered. He is able to separate them one from the other because he knows them and they know him and they trust him. Can you imagine after everything we humans have done since the beginning of time, God still wants to be in relationship with us. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it we saw you as a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. The sheep are surprised. They were just doing what their shepherd had taught them to do, to love one another as Jesus had loved them, to love their neighbor as themselves, to love the Lord their God with all their hearts and all their mind and all their strength, to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all the rest would fall into place. Maybe what surprised the sheep was not that they were being told that they had acted because of their love for Christ, but that Christ himself was the personal object of all their deeds. An inheritance is received because of a relationship, usually a kinship relationship. The sheep did not inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world because of any earned efforts of their own, but as a blessing of the relationship that they have invested in and lived into. Jesus refers to the recipients of the kindnesses mentioned as the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. His followers would have known that in Jesus' life, 
Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is talking here about a manner of living that we are all invited to. This is not about a checklist of good deeds or about doing things to get to heaven or not doing things to go to eternal hell. That would be acting out of selfish motives, not out of love. No, Jesus is talking about our lives being so transformed by our relationship with God and with Jesus that we cannot not treat others with love. Of course, we all fall short. Many times we are the goats, aren't we? It's not easy to love people the way Jesus loves us. He knows our heart, all our faults and foibles and idiosyncrasies and all we have ever done, and still he loves us. We have trouble being that loving, don't we? Sometimes people are scary, or the environment where they are is scary. Sometimes people are smelly or just plain mean. And sometimes we're in a hurry or we feel just plain mean and we fail to act out of love. The good news is we don't go into those scary circumstances alone. Remember, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Which means that Jesus is right there with us in all those messy, scary, uncertain places. Carl Gregg in his article, Four Spiritual Practices for Preaching on Matthew 25 says this, Jesus seems to be promising to those of us born centuries too late to meet the historical Jesus in person, that the closest we can come to a transformative face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus is to aid and be fully present to the poor and marginalized. I'm gonna say that again. The closest we can come to a transformative face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus is to aid and be fully present to the poor and marginalized. David Luz in his commentary called The Unexpected God puts it this way. This seems to me like surprisingly good news that God is with us here and now, revealed in the fellowship of broken people that we call the church, made manifest in the ordinary elements of bread and wine, and available to us in the seemingly small gestures of mercy that we offer and are offered each and every day. It may not be where we expect God to show up, but it is just where we need God to be. Amen. And now, as promised, Sandy Garrison and John Sanchez will come and tell us more about their 
uh, Court Appointed Special Advocate Program. They'll be available at the bank back of the sanctuary after worship to any, answer any questions you may have about how you can help. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah, so I'm Jonathan, and actually, I'll let you start. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm Sandy Garrison, and um, you should never give me a microphone. <laughs> Just say, I like to sing, you know. So, court appointed special advocates. I know we talked to a lot of you out there. These are volunteers that work with children in foster care. We are not foster parents. We don't have that responsibility. Um, the judge has asked us to go visit these children who by no fault of their own, find them in a foster placement um, and to make sure they're getting the services they need. As we know, when children are growing and learning and experiencing life, they need guidance. So we're there to be the extra set of eyes. Um, these children will have lots of different people in their lives. Um, they'll have a DCS case manager, they'll have behavioral health, they'll have just three or four adults. But we're the one adult that stays. Generally, those, all, those positions all change because we're volunteers. We volunteer to stay as long as the child is in care and until the child gets into a permanent, safe place. So that means it may not be reunification, which means going back to the parents. Could be adoption. We've heard some great stories here about some of your members who've done adoptions. Um, it could be guardianship. So we, we are looking for more volunteers to work with these children and to help the judge by reporting back to them what's going on with these children so that they can make a more informed decision. Because when it comes down to it, it's just one judge that makes that decision based on the information they're given. Um, so you want to talk now? Okay, then I'll wrap up with this. Yeah, so I am a volunteer. I've been doing it for a year and a half now, I think. I got started because actually I kind of felt like it was calling to me in a way uh, when I was when I was young. Not that my dad wasn't in the picture or anything, he was, but my, my brother was kind of like a, a mentor to me. So I felt that like, I never had a little brother, I was one of them. So uh, when I got here, I, I had always been trying to like find some sort of way like to do this, but I, I got here at Yuma, I got stationed here actually. And one of my buddies was telling me that, oh, dude, you should try CASA. And I was like, well, what's CASA? He's like, oh, it's great. Um, I had a CASA because I was, I was in the foster system and he took me like to my driver's license and all this cool stuff. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. And, and I wanted a teen when I first started, but uh, I have a, I had a, can I say that? Yeah, I got a, a nine-year-old kid now. So, well, he's not like my kid, but he's like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's, it's been a treat, definitely, to, to give back to somebody that is in a situation that you wouldn't want for your own children or you wouldn't want for yourself. 
and it's like I don't know it's not even about like it's just like it's just something to like someone to love someone to care about and that, that it's it's been a blessing probably not even for him but also, also for me as well so Oh yeah, we did like built a tent one time. He he really liked camping and stuff. He did. Uh, I, I want to do. I want to fly kites next. I haven't done yet, but I do want to fly kites. So yeah, and and my other kid is is not even one yet, so I can't really hang out with him. I'm just like you know, maybe hold him, tell him that he's gonna be awesome one day. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I've, I've been doing. You don't have any questions? Wow. What kind of training do the CASA volunteers get before they start? You can answer that really well. Well, you can answer. You get the first. Okay, I'll just tell you. Say the question because they probably couldn't hear me. Oh yeah. So the question was how much how much training or what kind of training that we do to be CASAs. So I went to a week of training. I think it was like eight hours a day for five days or four days. Yeah. And then there's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I have one kid. Well, I have two kids, but for, for one kid, it's probably like. I don't know. It kind of varies. Like, if you have. If it's really busy, you can do it maybe like 20 hours. But I really don't spend more than like five hours a month. Depends on how on your pace of work. Yeah, it's really not as much as you think. You can you can make time for it. Yes, sir. I would like to fly kites sometime when you were flying kites. If you would get a hold of me, I'd like to meet you and then fly some kites. All right. We'll, we'll exchange information. In the back. Huh? We'll go to exchange information in the back. Then. <laughs> note I mean he alluded to the fact so I can go ahead and say it he's a full-time marine so <laughs> so he's not only full-time employee you know there's the demands of being a marine so um, we do have more and more folks that are employed so we're looking for occasionally we have what we call a co-casaim um, so two people may work one case um, because your schedules are different or the timing is different. So the, we, there's all kinds of avenues. Um, we also, unfortunately, here in Yuma, most of our older kids, you're lucky, yours didn't, um, end up because there's very few slots. I hate to call it like that, but that's what they are. There's very few available here. So they end up being sent out of county. So we're in this starting to develop, we're getting going. It's called, um, there'll be someone, for instance, we have one right now, it's in Tucson. So the Tucson folks are gonna find someone to visit the child because per policy, we have to put eyes on the child. But we don't expect you to drive three hours to go see this child. That's not an expectation from a volunteer. Um, and then you, whoever, would be here in Yuma doing the paperwork part of it, going to court, um, things like that. And now, because of 
the pandemic, we've become more virtually set up with a lot of programs. So there's meetings that both the person from Tucson and the person from here can be on together. So we have a lot of different ways. It's not um, just you and then you're here and then you gotta put in X number of hours. I love that um, Jonathan gave such a good example of the varying amounts of time. In the very beginning when you get a case, first off you're getting to know the child and everyone involved with the case. So there is gonna be more time. Once you get your schedule set, what works for you, what works for the placement, the placement is whoever is housing the child on visits, um, then you can work out a schedule, especially if the child's in school, we don't wanna pull them out of school for anything. So there's a lot of um, finagling, I don't know how to spell that, um, that goes on in the beginning so it can take a little more time. So um, the other thing I wanted to let you all know that we are gonna have an in-depth, um, we call it an information session on the 28th. There's cards out front, so thank God we don't have to remember it. And then Veronica's always so good at reminding me, you know, we're doing this. Um, it's actually gonna be at the Juvenile Justice Center. For those that don't know, that's where all the court cases, even for dependencies, go through. When I first learned that, it kind of put me back. These kids didn't do anything to go there. Well, that's how Yuma County is set up. Anything to do with children, regardless if it's foster care or delinquency, it goes through there. So, and that center, that courthouse, in case you don't know, my great uh, direction, on B Avenue, across the street from Neaters. Right? That's the best thing. So, uh, we're going to meet there on the 28th. We're doing a 5.30 to 7. It doesn't mean that it takes that long. We just asked for the room for that long, you know, because then some people might want to hang around and talk about a few things. So we will have the cards out there if you're interested in finding out more or inviting someone. That's the other thing we're here to ask you is if you know of someone. If you, even if they think they might be interested, have them come and talk to us. Let's just talk about it. The other um, place that I'm pushing, whatever, is our Yuma Council for CASA. This organization is a nonprofit. They are dedicated to helping CASAs provide any um, financial need for necessities. And, and it's our determination is, sorry, determination what's a necessity. For instance, they paid for backpacks, they've paid for uh, soccer shoes, they've paid for um, prom tickets, they've paid for um, uh, yearbooks, especially, you know, as the kids get older, expenses get more. Um, so that's, that's another way that y'all can help out is by contacting them and seeing what it is that they need. Um, sometimes it's just financial, I have no idea what else, but we have these flyers out so the other one thing I forgot to mention, which I wanted to make sure I did, is um, in Yuma County and pretty, pretty much everywhere in Arizona, there we need foster parents. We all know that. Their foster homes are few and far between. So a lot of the children are placed with 
because it is a parent's choice, if possible, the child will be placed with a relative if they can pass the background check. Um, or what they call as a kinship, which is any adult with a significant relationship to that child. So my kids, for instance, we've been here 20 years, the only aunt and uncle they know are not blood relatives. So that's the kind of relationship. So we have a lot of kinship and they don't get the funding that foster parents get. Foster parents don't get enough, don't get me wrong, but those are the ones that we tend to need more help with and there are highest number of kids with placement is in those. So any questions for me or we can just talk when we come out front, give something else. Anything else? Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.